Yeah, it's been a minute. I do appreciate the intro music. That's uh, it's a nice yeah. touch. Well, that's that's a new feature. They uh, Elon Musk is sprucing the place up a little bit. We certainly did not have that in the, the old <laughs> days. We had to absolutely had to not do. Um, yeah, I'm just going to kind of let the chat build up a little bit. Um, I see we got FOIA fan. I definitely want to invite him to speak, and we'll see who else pops right. in. I think you know, Full Nelson said he might make an appearance. Um, Walk of Fire was actually free the last couple of days. I don't know if he's free tonight, but uh, we'll try to get as many people in here as we can. Try to, you know, we kind of owe it, right? I mean, this was sort of our our thing where we would do these spaces chats and talk about, you know, the state of Russiagate and John Durham and everything else. And um, feels like we need to do at least one of these to kind of wrap things up a little bit. Now that now that Durham's done, and I I'm sure we'll do a couple more of these as you know Durham's going to testify and. Still a lot to talk about. Still a lot of work to do. So, um, MB, I don't know if you want to just kick things off. I don't know if you have any thoughts on what you read from John Durham last week or um, anything, really. Go sure. ahead. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people are disappointed, and it's not surprising. Uh, you know, people are expecting more indictments for sure, more more you know, people being held accountable in a legal way. And, you know, that didn't happen. And it, it's, uh, we have no problem with being upset about that. And uh, I don't know if it's on John Durham that that happened because he had limitations that I'm sure we'll talk about and just, you know, issues that are part of our legal system that, take or leave it that's what he had to deal with and i'm sure other people want to jump in and say you know he should have done what uh muller did or done what wiseman did you know be more aggressive to do things that were maybe outside of the lines a little bit and that that's fine you can have that opinion and i don't necessarily discount it but um we're at where we're at and i think the good there, there are a lot of good things about what durham did and they are more about the future, the you know, the long-term implications of how we look back at this and how history hopefully will look at it. And I'm sure people don't want to hear that necessarily. I mean, I'm upset. I'm, we're all not happy with uh, the fact that a lot of people walked away from this unscathed or maybe better off, maybe with, you know, TV shows and uh, being on CNN and being commentators and, and God knows what else. But this is where we are. And uh I guess we'll we'll hash it out and go, you know, sort of line by line. There's a lot of interesting things that have popped up, and I think the uh, the congressional uh, 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 interviews are going to be very interesting, and hopefully, pop up a few more things that'll uh, give us some more to, you know, talk about. But you know, we're at where we're at. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that. I think you know there is a little bit of a disparity out there too, where. You know, there's people that were definitely interested in this, but they weren't necessarily following every filing over the last four years. They weren't, you know, really trying to dig into detail. And they really just felt like, okay, just go get Hillary, right? Just go indict her. Like, oh, you know, you have the Q people out there that still talk about using military tribunals and all that stuff. And it's just, come on. Um, but for those, of, for those of us that have really been following this closely and really been doing research and trying to add material and finds to you know the body of discussion that's out there in the public i i don't think any of us were really thinking there were still going to be indictments at the end of this i um i was starting to get a little bit curious about what durham was doing just because he was taking so long after the danchenko 
you know, trial. I, I had sort of assumed he would have finished his report sooner. And I was starting to get the idea that maybe he's still doing something, but you know, at the end of the day, he submits a report. It's only like 300 pages. I, I am surprised at how short it is. And I think that's where a lot of disappointment comes in because it's not just that he didn't bring accountability over so many different subjects. It's also that we didn't get the answers to so many questions. And even some of the most you know basic and earliest questions that were out there, Durham did not cover those at all. And there's, there's questions that I don't even give credence to, right? There's questions about Seth Rich and questions about, you know, Joseph Missoud. And I give zero credence to those. I don't think they're worthwhile questions. But I think Durham would have done the country a service to address those and say, yes, you know, I went and I looked at the body of evidence around Joseph Missoud and there was nothing there. He could have, he could have done that. Um, we know that he looked at it and he just didn't include that in his report. And then... We, we talked about this quite a bit. I mean, for, for years now, we've known quite a bit about, you know, some of these other researchers and, and some of the other different subjects that they were involved in. And Durham did not cover that at all. I mean, there's some very interesting emails that we've obtained and we've had and we've discussed and, and certainly along with Margot Cleveland. And we put out a lot of these materials and then Durham did not address those at all. Um, I thought that was really, really odd and, and very disappointing because it's, you know, it really seemed like he limited his report to try to defend himself and just try to defend the court cases that he brought. I thought it was, you know, if anything, it was sort of like a enhanced IG report, right? It wasn't like, you know, there wasn't anything I could identify that was like, okay, this is what John Durham's been doing for the last four years or like this is what took him so long. There's nothing like that. I did not have that idea reading his report at all. And that's the, like, it's not even disappointing. It's almost confusing. You know, it's confusing that he didn't address so many different topics. And I I don't know, I don't know what he's doing. I I don't know what's going to happen at this hearing. And nothing's been confirmed on that last I've seen. Like, I don't know what time it is or anything, but. You know, I don't know. I, I don't think John Durham's the type of guy that's going to go into a hearing and be like, oh, and this is all the stuff I didn't include in the report. Like, this is all the new stuff. I don't think he's going to do it. Um, he's going to probably stick to the report and be very, very limited in what new details he might give us. Uh, and that sort of leaves it all open for Congress. And I saw Cash and Devin are kind of nudging Congress to go and do something. And I have to say it like, I totally support that. And that's, that's been like one of the first things like we've really been pushing for is for Congress to go out and do something like have some hearings, you know, subpoena some people, subpoena some documents and go look at stuff and, and let's go, let's put everything on the table finally. And maybe, maybe a silver lining to John Durham being so, um, sparse in his report and leaving so much open, maybe it does prompt Congress to say, okay, you know, there's enough anger out there. Maybe we have to go and do something because there, there are some really serious questions and worthwhile questions that are just not addressed. It's not, it's not, no, we looked at this and there's nothing there. It's just totally not addressed. And I just can't, I can't come to terms with that. It's probably a long intro. No. <laughs> 
No, I, th- I think you're on the, on the button. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of put on the floor right now is that think about things from John Durham's point of view that, you know, this investigation has been on going on a long time. And uh, as soon as Biden won the election and you have a new attorney general who is in charge of this, his he had to figure out how am I going to get this stuff out in the public because he can't just put out a report and send it to Congress. It has to go through the attorney general first. Right. So from his point of view, it's that that was tricky because he can't put, you know, things from the grand jury in it because those are secret and he can't even put, you know, a lot of things that might be classified or might, you know, the attorney general might think is, or shouldn't be involved. So I think if you look at it from that prism of, John Durham wants to get information out, but he has a adversarial relationship potentially with the attorney general. And how can he work this out to get things out? Um, and then we get to the point where, okay, he, he's been working this report for months. It's, it's like, you know, the Danchenko trial ended more than six months ago, like eight, eight months ago, whatever it was. And he's been working on this. And then all of a sudden he turns the report in and the attorney general turns it around on a Friday or he gives it to him on a Friday and it's released on a Monday. And that to me says that they had been working sort of on a deal, some sort of, sort of arrangement where it's like, yeah, we don't want to take forever. We don't, you know, we're not going to do what the Mueller report was with uh bar where we have to go back and redact a bunch of things. What's it going to take to turn this around very quickly. And clearly three days is very quickly to turn around this report. So there was some sort of working accommodation arrangement, and I'm not saying it was anything nefarious at all. I'm just saying, clearly, in my opinion, Durham had an arrangement with Garland that I'm going to put this out under these, you know, requ- uh, you know, whatever, that it's not going to take a long time to redact a bunch of things where we're going to get it out right away. So that being said, this is what we have. And if you look at through it in that prism, it's, I don't know. I don't know if that's interesting or what, but clearly there wasn't a big fight with the attorney general of Biden's regime to get this information out. So take it, take that for what it's, for what it's worth. See, I'm not convinced there there was an agreement. I think there's, you know, Garland certainly committed publicly that he was going to try to release this report without redactions. And, you know, maybe Durham just submitted a really sparse report and Durham, and Garland was looked it over and he was like, yeah, there's nothing here. I can release this in total. And, and certainly Durham made that very, very easy for him. Um, and, and may, you know, that is a good point because some of the subjects that, you know, I'm personally very curious in are probably still classified and maybe, you know, by submitting a report like this, you know, they could get it out a little bit faster. They didn't have to go through that declassification you know, system or, or process. But at the same time, like I still, I just really, really struggle with it because some of the classified subjects that I'm personally very interested in, they're worthwhile. Like you just have to put it out there. Like, and, and what I'm sort of concerned about for Durham, who I, I totally respect is a situation where something new comes out and you know what there's stuff that we have that Durham does not have in his report. And if I can get a little bit more detail on some of those subjects, you know, it's going to, it's going to make Durham look bad, quite honestly. I mean, if he doesn't address it in this hearing and then I come out and I can report it, you know, with some more documents and, you know, show 
the truth on a couple of things that are really, really important. And I think I will, you know, people are going to be like, you know, WTF, John Durham, like, why didn't you have this in your report? And, and like, I, I hate that for, for Mr. Durham. Like, I hate that. Like, I, I don't want it to be a situation where people are cursing his name and, and being disrespectful to him. Cause I, I have the utmost respect for him and what he did is not easy. Like this, this was not like a fun assignment. I guarantee you Durham was not ever happy to, to collect a paycheck while, you know, being away from his family and dealing with all this, like he, this was not a happy engagement. And, um, you know, there, there's some troubling, like there's so much that he should have covered. And, and I'm going to say that so many more times, um, you know, that's, I, I'm so confused and, you know, I, I hope that, you know, half of this hearing, whenever Durham testifies, we know half of it's just going to be wasted, right? We know the Democrats are going to be out there and they're just, they're just going to say, you know, they're just going to be ripping John Durham apart. They're going to be making whatever garbage idea or case they have. And then of the 50% of the remaining time, I, I'm concerned that we're probably going to have a lot of Congress members on the Republican side that are just going to grandstand. They're going to, and all they're basically going to do is try to say, Oh, this is the worst thing ever. And they're not going to dig into the details and they're not going to ask them the hard questions and the, and the questions that are obvious just in the FOIA documents that we have. And, and I, I just, I'm scared that so many years have passed and so much has gone on that we are not going to get the answers to all this unless we literally go and get them unless we literally go get these answers. And, you know, I'm certainly working on it, but like, I, I never anticipated being in that situation. And, and that's, that's, uh, it, it's just crazy. So. Yeah. I, you know, what? we should probably talk about the upside of all of this that, you know, look, Durham's come back and really had a damning report about uh, not just uh, the Clintons, uh, which I think he really went hard on, but also clearly the intelligence community, the FBI, the DOJ, and the Obama administration. Um, And maybe they were not criminally liable or he was not able to prove that, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt or, you know, in ways that were criminal, but he came down very hard on the entire complex of, uh, you know, especially the, the, what they call it? The Clinton, uh, the, 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 was it a Clinton program? What, 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 did he, what did they, they had a name for it. I mean, it was, uh, you know, they had a, uh, foreign intelligence agency that came to the CIA and said, Hey, we intercepted something that, uh, said that the Clintons were that you know Hillary Clinton's campaign was uh, going to try to pin on Donald Trump that he was working with the Russians and that was their that was something they were going to do for the campaign and that got passed up to literally to the president to Obama uh, Biden was in the meeting all these different people that you know play in and I think that was probably you know it's amazing that that's not a bombshell that is just not rattling everybody's cage in the entire country. It's kind of gotten to the point where it's like, yeah, well, okay, maybe that's true. Maybe it makes sense. That probably it happened, whatever. And people just, you know, we're, we're so down the line that people are just like, yeah, okay. They don't really 
care all that much because everything, you know, it's kind of a one of things that is happening that that has happened. Um, but that is a huge deal. And I don't know that it's been proven beyond a reasonable doubt because it's all this intelligence stuff. It's, it's IC, it's whatever, but they were briefed on that. That's a fact. So it's not about what's true. It's about what they were told that they should have taken into account. And that includes Jim Comey. That includes, that includes the DOJ and the FBI. They were told these things and then they went ahead and absolutely ignored it. And just, it just, as though it was a blank slate, they took all this stuff about Donald Trump and took it as, you know, oh, this came out of the blue. Like, you know, you were you were briefed that the Clintons were going to try a dirty trick like this and you completely ignored it. And to me, that's that's a huge deal. If if that would have come out five years ago, it probably would have been a way bigger bombshell. But we're so far down the line that I think it, it, it just has lost its you know impact. Well, I think that's a great point. And it is such an important point point to make because you have these these <laughs> you have these guys at the FBI you know you have Comey you have you know McCabe you have Peter Strzok um, you know pre-staffs probably in the mix too where they know right they know about this plan from Hillary Clinton to tie Trump to Russia so then when once they start going down the line and you know they have the steel dossier and they have all these allegations and stuff once starts once stuff's stops panning out or, or never pans out when do they reassess that right like it's like okay all this stuff is blowing up the media there's all these leaks that did not come from us we know these leaks are garbage we know you know peter struck did an analysis on one of these new york times pieces and he's like no this is totally wrong like this you know it's so obvious like somebody's just playing planning this narrative and you know all the evidence is garbage and like you can tell all this stuff is fabricated and it's not panning out. So there has to be a point when somebody like Peter Strzok and Comey and McCabe are like, you know, we heard this was like a plan from Hillary Clinton and nothing's panning out. Nothing's making sense. Is it possible Hillary Clinton fabricated all this? And they had to, they had to get there before probably well before Mueller was even appointed. And, and that's like the crazy thing because if you if you have reasonable suspicion that Hillary Clinton is behind all this stuff, like why don't you shut everything down? And like I, I just don't accept that. Okay, on on at the start of things, you find out you, you get this report that Hillary Clinton's behind everything. You're like, ah, you know, I don't think so. But later on down the line, once everything is is blown up in your face, you have to be like, ah, you know, maybe somebody is out there fabricating this stuff. And it's like, okay, who is that somebody? Well, I heard it was Hillary Clinton. Like, why doesn't that thought ever hit these guys? And, and the only, like, it leads to some pretty negative inferences about what their intentions have to be. I mean, it just has to be that way because there is no good explanation for why you would not stop or, or sh- shut things down when everything's blown up in your face. Yeah, you, you would think there would be some professional embarrassment when, you know, you're, you're investigating all these things and you're going out on a limb and all of a sudden they're swearing up and down that the Steele dossier was not paid for by anybody in the DNC or Hillary Clinton, that Fusion had nothing to do with it. And it took until the the uh, Republicans in Congress went and got the bank records and literally proved that fusion gps was being paid by hillary clinton that's how long it took before they just 
turned on a dime and said, yeah, that happened. They were lying. I mean, they were absolutely straight up to people's faces lying about who was paying for the Steele dossier. And then they got caught. But no, no one, like, I, I, if, at that point, if, you know, some of the guys of Peter Strzok or, you know, McCabe or Comey would have gone, wow, you know, holy crap, we didn't know that. And that changes everything. No, they just dug in. They doubled down at that point. That, that to me is just the most outrageous. You're supposed to be investigators. You're supposed to, you know, that should have been, that, that should have been something that just like infuriated them. And instead they just went, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. It's outrageous. Yeah. I mean, circling back to the report itself, I mean, is there anything that you can recall as you read through the report or maybe somebody's Twitter feeds? Is there anything new? Is there anything that you learned from Durham's final report? Uh, there were a couple things. And uh, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to say they're breadcrumbs because maybe they are, maybe they're not, but they're interesting. And uh, you know, the one we're talking about is, is it, it really goes back to some of the other Clinton investigations, I think. Uh, those were the ones that stuck out to me and the uh, the way that the FBI was treating uh, things that were going on with the Clintons, uh, and especially in uh, late 2015, early 2016. Uh, those were new to me. Um, and, and they were, you know, some things that were going on with uh, confidential human sources in uh, in that time frame. Uh, people, uh, you know, uh, there was a potentially bribes being made from foreign countries to the Clinton campaign that the FBI, according to Durham, you know, they were, they were just shut down at a certain time. And I'm very curious about that. And I'm not even a hundred percent that this is everything that's faith at, at face value. Uh, but I find it very interesting and that, that Durham would put that in the report because, you know, undead, like you just said, he left out quite a bit of things that, were germane that we've talked about that were even in, his, in, in, in the court filings and things like that. But he included that. He included the, uh, you know, uh, the things that he included and didn't include, I think are interesting. And uh, I'm very interested in that particular little bit that, uh, uh, you know, were, were things happening that the FBI ignored with the Clintons or said, you know, we can't do this. Uh, that might be our next president. She might be our next president. So we would be fools to, you know, push too hard on this. Uh I think they're going to be, they should be run down. I think they will be run down. Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, that's the only thing that I could really recall is something that really stood out. I mean, there's a couple other points, right? I mean, we didn't have all the detail. Um, he certainly included a little bit more on like CHSS, which we were talking about a little bit with uh, Patrick Byrne and um, some of that other stuff. But like, just like you said, like, it's weird to me that he included some detail on some of that stuff and then other, other topics that are really important. He has zero coverage at all. Um, I thought, you know, that's kind of odd. Um, I thought it was odd that he didn't like, there's open questions, right? Like let's talk about alpha bank a little bit. And, and I, I do have to go back and reread that section a little bit, but it felt like, you know, there's one point that he made it where he's talking about list track. And basically saying that based on what Listrack had said, there's no way these DNS lookups could have happened because it, it would have taken like a, a reconfiguration of their server. And that reconfiguration would have done, been done with like physical access, I think he said. And, um, you know, it would have shown up in other 
like activity around their servers. Like it would have disrupted all their you know operations throughout the day. So like it, it just couldn't have happened. And it's like, okay, but like there's logical follow-up questions to that, you know? And, and Durham did not like give us the, the, the answers to it. It's like, okay, you know, between this and all your other filings, it's like, okay, the CIA said it's not technically plausible. You know, the, the FBI was talking about, you know, whoever put this together is like a 5150 guy. And it's like, okay, well, is it fabricated, right? Like that's the question. Were these logs of data from Alpha Bank or, you know, purportedly from Alpha Bank and Donald Trump, these DNS lookups, these logs, are they fabricated? Like, that's the question. And Durham, like, he tiptoes around it. And, and he, doesn't, he doesn't make a determination because then the logical second question is like, okay, if they are fabricated, how is that not a crime? Like, and those are two questions he does not get into. And, and I, I don't, at least I don't recall seeing it. Like, I don't recall seeing anywhere that the special counsel's office took a position on the authenticity of those logs. Maybe I missed it, but like some of those questions, and, and I just chose Alpha Bank because that's one where he was most active in court filings, obviously with the Sussman trial, and he was making this big overarching case, and he was throwing out all these like, you know, joint venture conspiracies, and there's, you know, CIA said it's not technically plausible, and he, he was giving us a bunch of new information. And then we get to the final report, and you know all these questions that that came up. He just leaves them open, and I don't know. I'd be very curious on his explanation for that. I, I don't understand that. I know he did um, ha- have some information about, uh, for instance, the Yoda phone accusation from the white papers, which. I mean, I wrote about that. I, I think a lot of people looked at it in tech experts, you know, some people that I think are middle of the road. People looked at it and went, this is ridiculous. Like this is, this is silly. And uh, he did say that, no, the what they provided was cherry picked. I mean, to, more or less that, that was the conclusion in my opinion that Durham came back with that. No, this, they were not providing any kind of context. It was like, yes, there were these, you know, these hits from this website, but, compared to what that and uh, Durham did seem to mention that it was like, no, it was, if you looked at it on a, on a, on a global scale, it wasn't unusual that they made it seem like it was something unique uh, to the Trump uh, connected to Trump somehow, but it wasn't. And uh, I don't have it in front of me to look at, but I know, I know he did talk about that, which was good because I, I, I immediately, when I read those white papers, I was like, my first instinct was compared to what you're saying, Oh, this is, you know, this is something outrageous is something unique compared to what, what are you telling me that they, you know, they're pinging this website so many times, but are you saying that, you know, a different server wouldn't have that over a certain period of time. And I I think uh, Durham did come back with some information on that. So that was good, but you're, you're absolutely right on that, that that should beg the question of why. Okay. Next step. Why are you feeding us garbage? And what does that mean? And is that, is there some crime tangential to that that might you know that you are, uh, you know, feeding us something that has a has a reason behind it that might be criminal? I don't know. Yeah. See, I mean, it's not like I don't like my prosecutors to leave things open ended. Like when we have a special counsel out there, I want answers. 
I don't want him to give us breadcrumbs. I don't want him to, to leave it ambiguous for, you know, it's not supposed to be in the eye of the beholder. Like he puts out all this information and making sense of it, you know, it's not supposed to be up to us. Like we need his conclusions. We need his analysis and, you know, his opinions carry a lot of weight. I mean, is there something wrong there or not? Like that's, that's what we hired you to do. Like that's, you know, and, and I made this statement to, uh, shipwreck the other day where I was like, you know, it feels like, like he left, he left this open on his report and, uh, like he, we've come to expect from special counsels, like these big, long narrative reports that tell us what happened. And it did not feel like he did that. Like he gave us some facts. He gave us a little bit more color on a few topics. And then he just left open so many questions and, and, we have FOIA documents, right? And I've talked about this and I've tweeted about it. You know, we have these really interesting FOIA documents that kind of indicate that, you know, some of these same researchers on the Alphabank scandal and on the Yodaphone allegations were actually giving work product to Special Counsel Mueller and or the Department of Justice. And that may and may have included um, information on the, on the hack of the DNC. And like... Give us the answers on that. Like you, you know, we have we have the email, and I would be a little bit surprised if John Durham does not know that this email is in the public domain by now. Where it's like, you know, Durham's team was asking this researcher about if he thought it was appropriate for DARPA to task him to look at Gooseberg 2.0, and it's like, okay, you're asking him about that. He's involved. He looked at Gooseberg 2.0. Like, tell us more about that. And that's that's crazy. He totally leaves that open. And out of his report. And I, I don't know what that means. Um, you know, if, if Durham's asked about that at this hearing, what is he going to say? Like, I, I, I just really struggle to reconcile it. And I, I'll apologize in advance because I'm going to say the same thing. I'm going to make that same point probably 10 more times tonight because I, I, I just don't understand. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, you know, I've read through this report. I mean, there's nothing new. I mean, nothing big anyway. I mean, there's no, there's no bombshell. There's no, like, there's no answers. Um, you know, there, there's questions about Pianca, FBI agent Pianca. And, you know, Durham certainly goes into the FBI a little bit, but he doesn't give us, you know, more color on Pianca insofar as, he was aware of the special. He was aware of the counterintelligence investigation to Sergey Milian in October 2016, and Pianka was aware of these allegations from uh, uh, Simpson brought to Bruce Orr in December 2016, saying that Milian was actually the primary subsource. And it's like, okay, Durham, you got to tell us about that. Like, what's going on there? Um, why didn't Pianka raise that? Like, why didn't that show up in the FISA application? Um, I thought that was a really interesting point. I think he was talking about Pianca where Pianca apparently got really upset when he found out about, you know, this purported Clinton plan that everybody knew about. And apparently Pianca didn't know. And, and people may not remember this, but Pianca actually quit. Like he was, like he quit the crossfire hurricane investigation. I think it was, I think it was February, 2017. And basically he had like interviewed Flynn and then by then he was so fed up with this 
like political nonsense that he, he quit. He just asked to be taken off this investigation entirely. So it, it does make sense a little bit that he might've been upset when he found out that, you know, there's these allegations about this special plan from Hillary Clinton. And, uh, you know, but even there, Durham leaves it open. Like, and that's why we sort of need congressional hearings. Like, okay, it's time to bring in Pianka. Like, have Pianka up there, have him testify and tell us why is he emotional about that, right? Like, what, what's going through his head? Like, what does he think is the truth about what, what happened? Um, and, and hopefully we get there. Hopefully we get some hearings, and it's not just going to be bring in Durham, grandstand for half an hour, and everybody moves on. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, I think another big question that everybody had was if if you look through all the footnotes, if you go through the report and you'll see the footnotes and they'll when they're talking to or talking about all these different players, they'll say, you know, so and so refused to cooperate with the special counsel. And um, it'd be great if we could get, you know, maybe King wants to come up and talk about like what what the special counsel is able to do to compel people to testify, which basically you'd have to bring them in front of a grand jury. And then that opens up a whole can of worms where, all right, now you're in front of a grand jury and these people will, you know, apparently they've, you know, signaled through their lawyers. I'm sure that they are not, they're going to plead the fifth amendment. So they're not going to talk. And the only way to get them to talk at that point is to give them immunity, give them immunity. It's in the, it's underneath the grand jury auspice and therefore they're, it, it, it's going to be held in secret uh, and it's almost, you know, it's very, very difficult to get grand jury testimony out into the public. So that was something else that Durham was dealing with. But that being said, these are all the key, key players that he, in, for, in order for John Durham to do his job, he needs to be able to talk to these people. And if they're all just refusing to cooperate right up into, you know, uh, Clyde Smith, who, you know, had been, a, had been indicted and took a, took a deal you know, the fact that he wouldn't cooperate, it's like, what you, you gave someone a deal and then he wouldn't, he wouldn't answer questions for you. Like the cart was clearly before the horse there. So I, I just find that, you know, I think everybody found that like, wow, great. So, you know, we, we're not getting answers out of anyone. You can't compel testimony. Maybe he took some of these people in from the grand jury and we just don't know about it, but that's really harsh. That, that, that if you look through and these are like all the people you, you name a name, that you think was a potentially a dirty player in this. And they probably did not cooperate, did not testify, did not talk to John Durham. So that that's really harsh. Is there anything else that you see coming or is there anything else? Like, how do you think this hearing's going to go with Durham up there? I mean, do you think anything's going to come out of it or do you think Congress is going to actually do anything? I always, and you, we've talked about this all the time on dead, but I have the lowest regard for these <laughs> hearings because <laughs> the public ones are just terrible. They're always the, you know, each guy gets five minutes and they go back and forth between a Republican and a Democrat. And they started out with three minutes of, you know, back in my district, uh, <laughs> my people are really concerned about X, Y, and Z and blah, blah, blah. And they burn half their time. Just, you know, just talking about nonsense and it, they, really and if you wanted to do this right you could do it you could they you could make all your people give all their time to one person and have them act you know actually 
burn down through things and, and you know, you can't find anything out in five minutes. It's just not going to happen. If, but if, you, if, if they gave all their time to, you know, Jordan or whoever he wanted to appoint to actually like spend half an hour getting through things. And I think that happens behind closed doors more often where, you know, they, they do the ones that are, you know, in secret or, you know, that they're not open to the public, then they can actually drill through things, but it's so bad. It's just, it's, it's anyone, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of people like me watch C-SPAN and just sit through these things that are just, they're, appalling and it's five minutes three minutes are burned by the republican talking about nonsense and the republicans on and just burns down the witness and just says you know <laughs> hey there's a there, there's a uh, twitter account called uh john durham uh at john durham is that you no it's not me well he said this do you agree with it i don't know <laughs> that's five minutes gone so yeah i i have very little hope for you know hopefully there'll be some tidbits and some things we can dig through but I am not, I do not have high hopes for, for this particular thing. I do hope that uh, they use it as a jumping off point, like you said, where they actually subpoena some people, bring them in, put them under oath. May, if they want to plead the fifth, fine, but at least make them do that and get some, you know, hopefully they can get some more answers uh, doing something like that. Yeah, I would agree. I, I thought that initial uh, tweet that was out there um, about bringing in Durham at 9 a.m. on Thursday I really hope they redo that. I mean, that's just nonsense, right? You can't, you can't tell everybody in the country, like, this is the worst thing, you know, in history, and then bring in John Durham at 9 a.m. while everybody's working so nobody watches it. Like, it's either the most important thing in history, and you bring him in for prime time, or you don't, or you, you just totally ignore it. Like, I, I would rather them start later do a primetime hearing and like yeah it it is going to be a problem like if you do a three-hour hearing an hour and a half of it is just democrats you know doing some garbage you know whatever they're going to do i'm sure they have some strategy and that's that's the one thing that democrats do really well is you know have these really organized you know hearings where everybody sort of builds on each other and or at least it seems that way more often than not and they're going to try to make Durham look stupid, right? They're going to try to make him look corrupt. They're going to seize on that New York Times report saying that, you know, Durham ignored evidence of wrongdoing by Donald Trump. And, and they're going to go through that. And, and there will be no substantive questions from the Democrats whatsoever. So out of a three-hour hearing, an hour and a half of it is just going to be garbage. And then, like, another 20 minutes is going to be killed by, like, groundless bickering back and forth when the Democrats are being disrespectful and cutting people off and doing, you know, whatever garbage motions and stuff that they're going to do. Um, that's going to eat up like at least 20 minutes. And then you're going to have your grandstanders on the Republican side. Um, you're going to have people that didn't do the work or they didn't, they didn't have their staff actually look at the documents and, and go and do research. So they're not going to be prepared and and then you're going to have like one or two people that probably have an idea what's going on and it's going to the pressure's going to be on them to, to actually ask the questions and try to figure out what the heck is going on um so i i have really really low expectations i really hope they do move it to prime time though um because there is still a chance there is a chance that you know at least one member of congress is going to go out there and do some research, find our FOIA documents and ask the questions that need to be asked 
and maybe they even bring our FOIA documents in there. That's what I really hope for, quite honestly. Um, I think our FOIA documents would be great props. Like, throw them up on the big screen, throw them up for everybody to see, and then ask your question. And I think that'd be a really powerful way to do it. And you know what? If it comes off as a little bit confrontational with John Durham for the Republicans, that's fine. Like, Durham sort of opened himself up for that when he put in a report like this where it just doesn't give us detail. Like, you can't you can't withhold information like that and then be upset if people start grilling you a little bit. So I'm sure Durham's going to handle it really well, and uh, hopefully Republicans do that. No, I agree, and I, and I think Durham knows that that is probably what's going to happen, and is fine with it because the way he laid things down were was you know absolutely that there were a lot of things left out, and they're going to be asking questions uh, that are. He may say they're outside his scope, and they may well be, uh, but he may have answers. And so if you came across things that are outside the technical scope, that doesn't mean that, you know, if they're a crime, certainly he could refer them to other, you know, other uh, uh, prosecutors. But I don't know if they were just they may not have been crimes, but they may have been, you know, things that are uh, of public public interest. He should talk about them. He should say, no, I didn't you know. We didn't feel like this rose to the level of crime, but we found out this information and you're asking me this question. I'll answer it. And what what's the attorney general going to do at that point? Like John Durham's he's retired. He's you know, this is his last hurrah. I really hope he takes the opportunity to uh, stretch. And I, I know he's an honorable man. He's going to he's going to be as ethical as he can. But that doesn't mean that you can't you know, if you found out things that are of a, of a public interest that uh, are, you know, maybe not criminal, but he should talk about them. And these are the things undead that, that we're talking about that I hope that the congressmen have teed up, that they can come to him and say, Hey, what about this? What about this? Here's this email. Can you explain this? Do you have more context? Can you, can you tell us anything about it? That he will answer that question. Uh, We'll see it. it, it, That could be very interesting that, uh, and I, I do think that that could happen because like I said, the, the idea that, uh, Garland turned around his report in over a weekend without any, you know, redactions or without having him change anything. I, I really think there's more, he knows a lot more that he might be willing to talk about that couldn't make it in the report. He wanted that report to get out without a big fight, without it being, uh, you know, going to court, you know, at, at the end of things. So maybe that was, maybe that's his strategy that, okay, I will get my report out and then I'll talk to Congress. And I, I hope that's true. I don't know if that's a, that this was going to happen, but we'll see. Yeah. I, and not just, you know, not just our FOIA documents, you know, they could almost pull up Durham's own court filings and use those as props too, because I think there's actually areas where Durham put, went further and court filings than he did in his final report. And you and I have talked a lot about data privacy and the potential for, you know, the hope at least for some legislation there out of Congress because Durham had these filings where he was talking about, you know, the Alpha Bank researchers and people connected to them spying on the executive office of the presidency. And I I didn't really see that revisited in his final report. And that seems like a, a ground right within the domain that you just outlined where, you know, Durham didn't put it in his report necessarily, but Durham knows more. Right. And, and that's a substantive question where I think we're owed an answer. And that's where, you know, all those news reports came out where it's like, Oh, you know, Durham had to walk this back because, 
you know, uh, you know, conservative media was running with it and, and it's not, it, he didn't mean it that way or whatever. Like he didn't really re- revisit that and tie that up to see like, okay, did somebody embellish it or did he misstate it? Or, you know, there, there's so many examples where he, he didn't give us the answers. He didn't, he didn't tie things up in a neat little bow and, um, sort of clean up some things and even some things that he sort of created, like some con- if there's a controversy there, you know, Durham sort of created it and maybe it was accidental, but we deserve to know, like, uh, what is the extent of spying that happened using this data? Like, you know, the Alpha Bank data, how was it purchased, right? Whose contract, like whose money went and purchased that data that they mined for dirt against President Trump? That's what I want to know. Like, like, is it this DARPA contract? Which which DARPA contract was it? Like, who's the overseer of it? Um, how did they submit money or submit reimbursements? Or, or you know, how did that all proceed? Um, I know there was a referral there related to DARPA, it looked like, or the Department of Defense um, and Georgia Tech, it looked like. But, like, you you got to give us more information. And, and that's another classic example where that's information within his head that he didn't he didn't put down on paper for us. And, and I think it would go a long way if Durham would answer those questions, though I, I don't expect him necessarily really to. Yeah, we'll see. And that's, that's another interesting thing that he did refer some things to the IG of uh, the Department of Defense based on the DARPA stuff. And I would think that Congress should be red hot about some of these things unless they knew about it, which they may well have and not cared and whatever. But, uh, you know, just the, the DARPA stuff that uh, those FOIAs have uncovered is outrageous that, you know, the DOJ is using the Department of Defense to uh, basically spy on American citizens and, you know, and, and, sidestepping the intelligence community that we consider to, you know, use a department of defense. I mean, that that's 20 years ago, that would be a huge scandal, like unbelievable. And now it's just, again, it's one of those things where it's like, Oh, okay, well that happened. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I really hope that Congress, you know, grows a pair and starts to take some of their power back and say, look, this is, you know, this is, this is, our ballywick to decide, you know, who gets funding, who gets, you know, and in Congress, you know, obviously they've devolved a lot of their authority and their power over the years, especially. And uh, I think this might be an opportunity to say, look, this is crazy. We're spying on the American people. This was just one little tidbit that we happened to catch of uh, the DOJ saying, Hey, uh, department of defense, do a favor for us because we don't want to go to the FISA court. We don't want to use our own power to investigate. Uh, see if you can find some about some stuff out for us and slide us back to us on the sly. Uh, it, it, that's crazy, but that's what happened. Yeah. And, and we've talked about, you know, the department of justice issued these taskings that flowed through DARPA to these alpha bank researchers. And we, we saw that apparently, on Russiagate itself, but then we saw it on non-Russiagate stuff. We saw it on the Tree of, uh, I think it was the Tree of Life synagogue shooting, where within a couple hours, you know, the, the tasking flowed from, you know, a U.S. attorney through the FBI to DARPA to Georgia Tech to pull information on the cyber activities of the shooter online and, like, pull their history or, or whatever, you know, work product it is. 
And it's like, okay, like that might be like a good example where it's like, okay, yeah, everybody wants to know it, but it's like, you know, are they getting a warrant? You know, in other cases, like is this warrantless data collection, um, are they abiding by FISA? Are they abiding by, you know, the Fourth Amendment? And, you know, I'm really troubled by some reports out there. And I think uh, Senator Wyden really did a good job of raising this where it's like, you know, is this warrantless data collection? Is, you know, is it the government's position that this is not subject to Fourth Amendment protections? And I, I did see that somewhere. And, and that has massive ramifications for everybody if the government can just buy commercial data and we have evidence of that as well. And, and then just, you know, uh, start mining through it for whatever, you know, flags or, or, you know, whatever signatures that they want. And then, and then take that and use it as evidence to go get warrants or, or to go get more information against people. Um, I think that's troubling and, and it's troubling. You know, you just don't have the chain of custody on the evidence and, and you have no idea if there is tampering there, who's going to find it, you know, that, that, and they, <laughs> It, this is stuff that we happen to un, to find more, more so undead and you know through these FOIAs, but this wasn't stuff that was hey here's how we do things now. It, these are things that we unexpectedly found through investigations and that were never supposed to be public and never would have been. And that's the horrible part is that it it, it it's was done on the sly. It was done in ways that we never would have known about. So what? We know the things we know, but the unknown unknowns are even scarier. And if, you know, if this is the government, if this is just how they're doing things right now, what have we not uncovered? I'm sure there are things that are just as bad or worse that uh, are out there that that they're violating all kinds of, you know, privacy rights and constitutional rights. I, I just find that outrageous. And uh, I hope that Congress would feel like, hey, we're being left out of the loop here. You know, this is this is the executive branch basically taking over everything, not testing anything in courts by do we know if this is a violation of the Fourth Amendment? Well, we can't know because nobody knows it's happening. Nobody's taking it to court to find out. Uh, We don't find out until they get caught. So where do we go from there? Yeah. And and we just saw a report. I think it was this week that came out that, you know, the FISA database was being searched thousands of times. Uh, for information, derogatory information on January 6th defendants. And it's like, that's not really the purpose of FISA, right? Like, that's that's not what we had envisioned at all. Um, and then going back to our point earlier, where it's like John Durham did not give us the answers one way or the other. It's not like, you know, on certain topics, it's, it's like, he didn't tell us everything was bad, but he didn't tell us everything was fine either. And the DNC hack is another example of that, where it's like, did he even look at it? And we had like indications that he's looking at the DNC hack when we were talking about that email from the Georgia Tech researcher. But how much did he look at it? And it's really troubling to me that he raises this Clinton plan and he, he pieces this all together where it's like, okay, the Steele dossier, it's garbage. You know, the Alpha Bank stuff is out there, the Yodaphone allegations and all, you know, we, he didn't even talk about Project Birmingham or, or anything like that that was going on. But then it's like, okay, is the DNC hack part of that scheme too? Or did Hillary Clinton and her operatives affect a plan to make it look worse than it was? Is that what happened? And Durham owed us a conclusion on that. 
whether it's criminal or non-criminal, he has to come out. He should have come out and said, like, okay, Hillary Clinton affected this plan to build on what the Russians were actually doing. Or he should have said, I looked at it and the Russians did or did not, you know, do this and this and this. And um, like the, the indictment against the Internet Research Agency, I think that's totally blown up. I mean, it just looks like total garbage now. And, you know, you had these Democrat operatives that were setting up fake Russian bot accounts on Twitter and, you know, and, and more on, you know, Matt Taibbi's reporting. It's like, you know, there really wasn't this big influence campaign. And, and if there wasn't an influence campaign and if, and if there wasn't collusion campaign, why would the Russians just go and hack a political party and hack the DNC and then dump the emails and then do nothing else? And it really seems like and it feels like it should be a holistic package. It's like either there was a big influence campaign by Russia that included a hack and dump of information or it's all a false flag operation. Like you can't like splitting the baby a little bit and saying, OK, yeah, the Russians did this hack and, you know, they did this hack and dump to influence the election. But all the influence stuff, no, 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 that, that was just actually garbage. And that's, that's really, like, where we're, we're at right now. And, and, you know, that goes to the point where it's like Durham just did not tell us how much he did on the DNC hack. He didn't give us conclusions. He didn't, you know, and, and I referenced it on the first point that I made. It's like Seth Rich stuff. I put no credence in that whatsoever. But he should have looked at the Seth Rich stuff, and he should come out and say, there's nothing to it, right? Southridge had nothing to do with it. You know, let's kill all the conspiracy theorists that involve, you know, Seth Rich. Let's put it to bed. And I, and I think he had a responsibility to do that as special counsel. You know, it wasn't just as a prosecutor, you know, can I bring charges, can I not? He owed us answers on questions that were not necessarily criminal in nature. And he failed that. He failed that second aspect miserably. Um, and now we're heading to this hearing, hopefully in prime time, and, you know, we, you know, hopefully he's going to be put on their microscope and, and have to answer some of those questions. Yeah, I think King's in here. Yeah. Hey, King, how you doing? Good evening. How are you guys doing? Good. It's been a long time. I'm fine. I know really it's good. been forever. Um, on that, along the uh, what you were saying, uh, I I want to add something. By way of breadcrumbs, Durham did give us a couple more breadcrumbs that fill in some of the gaps into what the Clinton plan was and how it operated. And that came out of the mouth of Hillary Clinton herself. Um, you have to read between the lines a little bit, but he, he, paraphrase what she said when he interviewed her um, she said we had all kinds of plans uh, you know contingency plans about how to deal with the campaign and with Trump uh, but she kind of indicated most important was they were willing to use whatever the press said and take that and run with it, true or not. But that, it, it basically, if it's in the press, it's fair game, and we can go, you know, run with that to the cows come home. That's pretty much a accurate description of what they did with Russiagate. The 
press clippings and the press um, uh, pronouncements they made uh, actually began in April, maybe March or April of 2016, uh, calling uh, Trump a Russian stooge of some kind or somehow being in bed with Putin. Not citing any evidence, really. But from those little snippets, that that story got bigger and bigger and bigger until the DNC hack happened. And then you had the convention at which in late July, at which uh, Robbie Mook made the infamous statement in a press conference that, yes, indeed, we believe uh, our experts tell us, experts, mind you, tell us that uh, uh, Trump is in league with Russia. So that, to me, described the plan, described, gave you ammunition, if you're a prosecutor, gave you sufficient ammunition to go look to see if indeed they had hatched it that early uh, and and started implementing it by feeding the pre- their friendly press with stories and tidbits and whatnot until the end of July when they finally went full blast. Uh, so that's a breadcrumb that we didn't have before. Uh, the fact that it came out of Hillary's mouth is very significant. And why he, why Durham stopped at that point, I don't understand. Maybe it's something he didn't think he could put in a report uh, and pass it by Garland. Or maybe he decided that it wasn't worth the candle to give somebody immunity to force him to tell the story, the bigger story, before the grand jury. Uh, but he, he basically stopped. There was land gift wrapped for him by Hillary Clinton herself. And he didn't interview her until the very end. I, I forget the date, but it was shortly before, uh, I think it was the Sussman trial. Yeah. So, uh, See, when you make that point, which I think is, is a great point, as you said it, you know, my mind immediately turned to the DNC hack because that announcement was not made by the U.S. government. That was pushed out there by Hillary Clinton in a massive media operation where, you know, on July 14th or June 14th, excuse me, 2016, like all of a sudden, you know, this is blasted out that the Russians hacked the DNC and the Russians are trying to influence this, you know, the election. And all that came from Hillary. And that's like, that's not me just speculating, like, go, go find all those articles and, you know. Article after article, they all quote Clinton people. They, cl- they quote, you know, Jake Sullivan. They quote, you know, whoever, Al Perovich. And it's like, you know, that was pushed out there by Hillary Clinton. And we have this disparity and this unanswered question because the evidence, the actual technical data and, and server logs and the, the images of those compromised servers did not make it to the FBI until October. And we know that because of exhibits that have come up at trial where in the middle of October, the, you know, the FBI finally got around to asking Michael Sussman, who was the 
the point man for the DNC, they asked him if CrowdStrike or if the FBI could go image the compromised servers finally. And I've made this point before, but it's like, if you think about everything that had happened by October, you know, they'd opened the Crosshair Hurricane. They had, you know, they were applying for a FISA warrant against Carter Page already. They'd, they'd actually applied for one and been denied a few weeks prior. You know, they had all these, you know, investigations open. They had already spent millions of dollars by that point. And they hadn't taken the first initial step of verifying that the DNC was actually hacked or was even hacked by Russia. They had done nothing. They had zero work done on that whatsoever. And yet, a few days before um, they had actually started asking for the data, they had already released a statement, a joint statement from ODNI and DHS attributing the hack to Russia. And they had zero evidence from CrowdStrike. They had zero evidence from the DNC. That's an open question that, that we hope is still going to be asked because you know, they had no evidence that servers had been hacked. They had no evidence from the servers. Um, and yet they, they had gone along with this plan already. And that's, that's what came to mind as you, you laid, up, laid out that point that you know, sort of Hillary Clinton was driving this through the media and then relying back on the media stories that she put out as like justification for what she was saying. And it's like, yeah, well, that also applies to the DNC hack. And that's, that makes me really uncomfortable. And, and that just goes further into the question of why didn't Durham look at it or why didn't he include it in his report? And I would add, it didn't stop with the hack. Uh, we know from news articles and leaks and whatnot that the FBI was the uh, was the intelligence agency which pushed uh, vigorously for uh, uh, a finding that uh, Trump. I mean that Putin interfered with the election for the express purpose of getting Trump elected. Uh, that was their horse they were riding. There was some debate inside the CIA that uh, on the other side of that, but the uh, Brennan and his team won out, and so they bought in with the uh, the Comey crowd. But even Brennan was not willing to go so far as to attach the Steele dossier as an integral component of the ICA uh, report that was public, made public. But they attached it as an exhibit, um, despite the fact that Steele, even having been offered a million dollars, couldn't verify a single thing in it. So start with the design to create publicity around a, uh, a theory that Putin is be backing Trump in this election and he's actively trying to interfere uh, and then take it all the way through the campaign and post-election into the formal ICA and you have pretty much some insiders at the very top of FBI and possibly the CIA 
who know better because they know about the Clinton plan, as Durham calls it. And they know the Clinton plan has not been investigated, but it, all of the public, uh, if, if you look at the public evidence, the, the newspaper articles, the timeline of the hack and the Alpha Bank story and everything the Clinton campaign did to push this narrative, uh, this looks like a, a Hillary Clinton campaign um, op- uh, uh, operation that they're going to blame Russia for. And but it, it was obviously, if, if that's true, it would have been exceedingly important for those at the top to make sure that the public understood it that way. Otherwise, they all may go to jail. Uh, again, those are rocks. Durham never even tried to turn over, and I don't understand it. Well, that's actually what I, I kind of wanted to ask you about a little bit more um, from a legal perspective. I mean, you know, how much probable cause does he really have to have if he wants to go subpoena people and get their testimony and force them to testify to a grand jury? I mean... You know, if he has a, a reasonable suspicion that there's a conspiracy to, to influence the election or, you know, whatever uh, goal that a conspiracy might have, then there, there seems to be several he could have chosen. I mean, if people just don't want to testify, and we, we saw that throughout the report, I mean, he can either give them immunity. I mean, he can, there's options that he has, right? Well, he had. He had grand juries open, so he had uh, sufficient credit predicate to open grand juries to investigate and potentially prosecute criminal activity. And uh, it was up to him. He had discretion at that point to decide how far to take it. Do we turn over every rock like Mueller's team tried to do, or do we... Uh, do a lick and uh, a promise and then shut it down without really pressing people like the people who won't talk to us. Um, the way you handle that in a grand jury is you decide who is most likely to squeal on the whole crowd, give that person immunity and call him before the grand jury and ask him to tell his side of the story and find out if there's evidence out there that would implicate the others who haven't been immunized in a criminal scheme. Uh, he could have done that uh, once he got his grand jury going, uh, but he didn't. Yeah, that was exactly my question, King, that um, we didn't hear from. And, and okay, all right, maybe you wouldn't go and drag in Comey or some of the, you know, the, these you know, top level people that would make a big stink and it'd be a public issue. But uh, there were a lot of like guys like Kleinsmith or Prestep that didn't have this uh, notoriety in public. Could they have been brought in front of the D.C. jury or the uh, Eastern Virginia uh, grand jury? Um, was there an issue with uh is it too tangential? Is there someone that can say, no, you, you can't do this because it's not directly enough related to 
what you're bringing for the Sussman trial or for the, you know, uh, the Nchenko trial. Is, is there uh, anything that they could object to based on that, that it's just too tangential? That's not, you can't win a, uh, uh, trying to get out of a grand jury subpoena on that basis. I, my guess is every one of the people who refused to cooperate with Durham would have pled the fifth and may have told Durham's team that's what they would have done had they been asked to testify before a grand jury. At that point, uh, Durham's only option is to decide whether or not to immunize any of them to force them to come and testify to the grand jury. Once you're immunized, you can't disobey a subpoena. You've got to come and testify and tell the truth. And and why don't you think he did that other than just deciding to close everything down and, and not and maybe he did, and maybe it didn't bear out anything. But, like, how do you think we got here without him doing that? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was hoping you would pull some magic and have an answer for that one, because that, that's, like, the key question, and, and I don't understand it. I've seen some skilled prosecutors uh, do exactly what I'm describing. Yep. And they use that technique to bust up some big, serious criminal conspiracies because uh, uh, white-collar conspiracies, I would add. Uh, one, one feature of it is the immunized witness knows that if he gets caught in a lie in his testimony, he's going to jail. He's not immunized. Uh, his immunization does not cover lying to the grand jury. So if he wants, if he's given immunity, uh, it's his, it's his, it's his, in his or her interest to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, they, he can, he can fight the prosecutor or, you know, be as uncooperative as he thinks he can, but he can't lie. And, and a good cross examiner, particularly one, who knows who's got the background uh, facts, knows the documents in and out, has a witness or two in his pocket that he knows some of what went on. He can get a person to spill his guts before a grand jury. My, my other, my second question is um, uh, the, inability of Durham to break the attorney-client privilege between Perkins Coie, Fusion, um, whoever else, that uh, there's a bunch of footnotes in, in Durham's report about that, that uh, unfortunately we couldn't, you know, this was privilege and this was considered privilege and he didn't break that. Do you have, what, what do you think about that? What, what's, what's your comments on? Uh... Uh, my comments said, uh... I'll repeat what I said back at the time. Uh, I don't think he aggressively sought to uh, bust the attorney-client privilege. He could have, using the uh, crime-fraud exception, like they did with January 6th, uh, Trump's lawyers. Uh, he didn't even try that. He should have, uh, early on. Now, if, you know, you, you can try it and lose it, but you ought to at least try it. He didn't do that. Uh, and 
failing that, he still has the immunity weapon in his back pocket that he could have used. And on the issue of whether that's beyond the scope of what the grand jury is looking at, it's precisely within the scope. Both grand juries, Danchenko and Sussman, were looking at a campaign-related or sponsored plan to obstruct the FBI, feed them false information. So it, it's the same scheme that he's investigating. Well, I, I also struggle with it because, yeah, he was really, really slow to even try, and, and maybe he was relying way too much on the, the Alpha Bank civil suit. But when they got to the Sussman trial, they got near it. They actually got Judge Cooper to, to look at documents in camera. And I don't recall what it was. It might have been like 40 documents. And then Judge Cooper came back and he was like, at least half of these have no basis for privilege at all. And he, like, I think generously accepted the privilege claims on their face for some of the other documents just because, mostly because of the proximity to the trial and, and ruled that a few couldn't be admitted and, and, and what have you. But, I mean, shouldn't John Dermott be able to take that and say to, to another grand jury, like, okay, they've been asserting these privileged privilege claims over all these documents. You know, a, a judge just looked at 40 of these documents. At least 20 of them are completely frivolous, and we're going to argue that the other 20 um, are, are equally, you know, frivolous. Um, why don't we you know, get more documents or like, why couldn't he use that and go get more documents? Uh, as, as I understand it, he only presented the documents to judge Cooper that he, he thought might be relevant, uh, and that he might want to use in the Sussman case in the trial itself. Right. Uh, he didn't go beyond that. And he, if his investigation had gone beyond that, he should have done what you, precisely what you said. Uh, that what that only addresses the issue is: Are they improperly invoking privilege as to certain documents? Because these were sent to the press, they were sent to third parties. That makes them, by definition, non-privileged. Uh, but even broader than that is the crime fraud exception, which destroys privilege altogether. Everything is is uh, discoverable at that point, and he had evidence of crimes. And the bar is not it's it's there's a bar he has to jump over to get the ju- get the uh, ju- uh, chief judge in where um, where the grand jury is sitting to hold that there was sufficient crime uh, uh, to bust the privilege uh, but he didn't try yeah and I, I think that's the other let's like of the so many different points that bother me that's one of them because that seems like it's really really easy to do by that point because because then you can go to a grand jury and say look these, they've been fighting me this whole time uh, they've been asserting privilege claims over all these documents you know, finally, we had a judge, you know, in this other case, look at, you know, 40 documents. And, you know, we've shown that the privileges are, are being made in bad faith or the privilege claims are being made in bad faith. We'd like to go, you know, get more documents. And, and they could appear to, uh, several different ways, as you said. I mean, 
even the emails that he was able to get admitted to trial and, and that Judge Cooper admitted after being them in camera, as you said, I mean, some of those were just emails um, from Fusion GPS to like media people. And it's like, no, there's no privilege claim to serve over that. Like you're literally talking to a third party about this, this information. You're forwarding pieces of this white paper. Like there's no privilege whatsoever. It's, it's totally frivolous. And Durham should have been able to take those, that fact pattern back to a grand jury to go get the rest of the documents. And that's one of the things that, that really, really bothers me. Um, I, I, I just can't reconcile it and I can't defend Durham not doing that and not getting those documents. I think that's a great question for Congress. I hope that somebody brings that up in, in these hearings and asks them, what, why did you not pursue this further after you were, you were messed with this, this ridiculously and you had all the ammunition and you didn't take it further. But I would add also when in talking to Congress that Durham was cognizant of uh, the precise element of this plan that Hillary admitted to uh, because Durham gathered up all of those reach outs to the press by Fusion GPS trying to peddle the Alpha Bank hoax, uh, which is pretty much in line with how Hillary said her plan would operate. Yeah, and it it's just very interesting that she said, we'll go with whatever the press says when they were feeding the, I mean, this is the point, they were feeding the press these uh, statements, these, these accusations, and then Hillary says, well, we'll go along with what the press says. Yeah, because you were telling them what to say. It's just silly. I mean, it's not even it's not even defensible. It's just so silly. Um, I like this is something that I'm probably going to struggle with for a couple of years to to reconcile if John Durham doesn't give us anything new, and I, I certainly don't expect him to give us anything new in this hearing. And you know, it, it's really going to come down like citizen journalism. I mean, that's. That seems to be what this is going to come down to is a bunch of people like tracking down documents, tracking down witnesses and getting them on the record because, and and like everything we've done, I never thought it'd be us in that position, but it, it like that. I think it's a big credit for what we've been trying to do over the last few years and keeping this in the, in the public conversation. And, and lo and behold, I mean, I said it earlier. I mean, there's stuff that we know. There's stuff that I know. There's stuff that Walk of Fire knows. There's stuff that Fool Nelson knows and, and you know, so many others that is just not addressed in these reports. And, you know, maybe we're wrong about everything. I, I don't know. But, um, like, I, I, like, I can't reconcile it. And I don't know where this is going to circle back to. Like, I, I don't know what's going to anchor a future investigation. Like, and I made the point earlier, like, what happens when one of us come up with the next big story? Because it's coming. Like, the, the truth is going to come out. And, you know, Durham's going to look horrible. And, and I hate that for him. Um, but sort of is what it is at this point, I guess. 
Um, you guys have anything else? No, I'm, I, I think we hit some really good points, and I, I do hope that Congress asked Durham. I, I, hey, I think Durham, I, I'm more on the side of I think he did a lot of things that he could do, and uh, I have. I, I think there are big questions for him, though, uh, that I hope he will answer in that forum. You know, why did you not immunize these people? Uh, why did you not break these attorney-client privileges? And, you know, some of the more specific questions about what was happening with the Clinton campaign. Uh, I hope he answers those questions. I hope that they are asked. <laughs> That's the main yeah. thing. Uh, but uh, other than that, yeah, I, uh, yeah, th- those are my main uh, takeaways. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, some of those topics, you know, topic specific. I mean, certainly my big interest is in, you know, these Alpha Bank researchers being also associated with the DNC hack investigation. And uh, at least that's to some degree, special counsel Mueller. And on both sides, I, I think there's valid questions to be asked. I, I'm not even saying there's something wrong or, or the, you know, that anybody did something wrong, but it's like, that's a basic question. Like, you find that out, you have to ask about it. Um, and I'm certainly surprised Durham didn't include that in this report. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if anybody else has anything. We'll certainly be doing a couple more of these. I mean, we've been at this for a few years, so a few more spaces chats is no big deal. Um, hopefully they move, hopefully they confirm this hearing with John Durham. And then hopefully it's in prime time. And if it's in prime time, I'm going to try to get MB and King and as many people as I can. We'll do like a, a stream of the hearing and we'll try to get like everybody's thoughts before the stream. And if they do breaks, you know, we'll say some, we'll troll them a little bit on the breaks and then uh, maybe we'll have some wrap up analysis after that. I think that'd be kind of cool to do, but uh, uh, King, do you have anything else? That's all I have. I think okay. You've got a good start here. Yeah. Well, it's gonna take it's gonna take some time to process, but uh, I, I think tonight was pretty cool. Uh, it's been a really long time since we've done one of these, so uh, thank you, MB. Thank you, King. It's always great to hear you guys. And uh, I guess we'll wrap this up here, and we will pick this up later. So uh, I'll see you guys later. Hope everybody has a good night. See you. Night. Thanks.